0: Let's pray together for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we come into this moment uh, with hearts uh, that are full because we're in your presence. And as we're going to talk about <clears throat> a, challenging, a challenging topic on in grief and loss, we're asking that you would be with us in a special way. This is your time. This is not my time. This, is, this time belongs to you. This is the time that you will speak to us through your word, that you will comfort our hearts, that you may challenge us, so we give ourselves to you. Whatever distractions may be in our minds and our hearts at this moment, I pray by your spirit that you would just kind of push them to the side. <clears throat> that we may focus our soul attention on you and what you have for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you um, are fairly new to the church, one of the things I want to tell you is we've been going through a, cor- a course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it's an eight week course. We've been doing that in our community groups. We've been doing that in our Sunday school time, and we've been preaching about it. We are in the fifth chapter of the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Uh, This one is called Enlarging Your Soul Through Grief and Loss, and it's me as your preacher. Um, We didn't plan it out that way. Pastor Larry just said, can you take the first one of them? We'll go every other one and I landed on grief and loss, and I don't think that's by accident. There, we have been going through a ton of grief and loss in our family. Uh, many of you know that because I've been pretty open with my grief with you. Today will be no different. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that. So I think this is God's plan. And I'll be honest with you, I am, in de- I am deep into my grief. Uh, so I don't know what this day is going to look like. Uh, I know it could get real, it could get Crazy real, really real. We're just going to let that up to the spirit, okay? Um, <clears throat> I'm not really open to share all the details of the grief that my family has been going through. Um, last last uh, two weeks ago, you did hear uh, a story about Sam who said, Hey, we, we were scheduled to have family portraits, and he said, I don't want you putting that out on Facebook. I don't want you putting out this picture of us as an ideal family because I'm not doing well. And that's all I can really tell you about, Sam. But uh, later on, I'll tell you about some of the the deaths that we have experienced in our family. Um, But what I can tell you is this. We have been sharing very honestly about our grief and loss in our community groups. Not terribly long ago, we launched community groups. We have 11 of them. And we have been sharing very honestly about every single thing that we're going through, as well as other people in our community groups. That's what community is for, right? Right? It's to go through the the triumphs and the great times, but it's also to go through the grief and loss. So if you're here today and you're not in a community group, I want to encourage you to get involved. We'll help you do that. You know, it's hard to sit in our pain. And there's a quote from the book or Chapter 5. Let me read this quote for you. In our culture, addiction has become the most common way to deal with pain. We watch TV incessantly. We keep busy running from one activity to another. We work 70 hours a week, indulge in pornography, overeat, drink, take pills, anything to avoid the pain. Some of us demand that someone or something, a marriage, sexual partner, an ideal family, children, achievement, a career, or a church, putting an ideal family portrait out onto Facebook, we We insist that something else take away our loneliness. That is an amazing quote. And as Amy was reading the chapter this week, she was reading it in front of me. She said, is somebody spying on our family? Because the way I handle pain is I put myself in front of a TV. The way Amy handles her pain is she gets busy and she starts organizing the home and organizing us. We say, Amy, don't, you don't need to organize us right, right now. What's going on? <clears throat> Tim, what's going on? You're, you're spending all this time in front of a TV screen. I ran into a, a woman, a friend of ours back in the 90s, uh, and uh, I saw her again. It was at a, a church service at night. About I think it was about some, six months prior to that, she had lost her husband to cancer. And I went up to her, and I said, how are you holding up? And her words were something along these lines, I am not well at all. I cannot be comforted. I thought we would grow old together, and now what? (sighs) Initially, it seemed wrong to me. It seemed like she was stuck. There's a part of me that wanted to fix it. But by the grace of God alone, I didn't. I simply hugged her and committed myself to pray for her. And I've kept that covenant of prayer for her and her family. And I have a long list at this point of people grieving over the loss and death of loved ones. And I have coveted myself to pray for them in the midst of their honest expression of pain. Grief, loss. The main idea I want to talk to you today about is what the chapter talks about in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is we can enlarge our souls by expressing our grief and loss to God in prayer. We can enlarge our souls by expressing our grief and loss to God in prayer. That's what today's sermon will be all about. But before we do that, I want to take you to the book of Job. I want to take you to one of the greatest examples of this type of large soul. So let's stand. Um, We're going to read through the book, uh, the beginning part of Job, and then I'll be in Job 7 as one. So let's stand and read this together. Slide's not going. Okay. Well, you can sit down. And I will read it to you. Job uh, Job 1, 1 through 3, and 6 through 12. <clears throat> In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless blameless, and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on him himself, on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Again, the main idea behind the sermon is that we can enlarge our souls by expressing our grief and loss to God in prayer. We will be talking about the mystery of God's choices. We will be uh, talking about Job's expression of grief. And then we will answer the question, or at least we will ask the question, why do the innocent suffer? The mystery of God's choices. So God agrees to allow Satan to take all of Job's possessions and all of his family. So what happens the, the, these Sabaean marauders, these group of Sabaeans, come and they take all of his oxen and donkeys and kill many of Job's servants. And then fire from heaven, the scripture literally says, fire from heaven, from God, comes down and burns up all of his sheep. Seems very strange. Another group of marauders, this time the Chaldeans, take his camels and kill another group of his servants. And then in the worst catastrophe of all, the scripture says a great wind has, comes across the wilderness and destroys his home with all of his children who were there as they were feasting together. And we say, what? We are allowed into the counsel of God and he gives permission for Satan to destroy everything. And we say, what? What in the world is going on here? Satan comes back, and Job, his response is, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22 says, in all of this, Job did not sin. And so Satan comes again, and he says, of course. Why would he he sin against you? He still has his own health. Give me the chance to come after him and his health and see if he does not curse your name. So so God allows Satan to do this. And we're like, what, what? This is beyond crazy if you think about it. This is beyond our ability to understand it. And I'll I'll admit to you, I don't like it at all. Do you like this? Do you like that God gives permission to destroy everything in Job's life? including his own health? How can God allow Satan to do this? How is this fair? Job is clearly innocent, so why must he suffer? Is our God unjust? Worse than that, is our God cruel? These are the honest questions that arise as we, as we peek in on Job in this story. And one of the major things that you'll discover about Job in the book of Job is it welcomes our honest questions. It's an amazing book of Scripture that way. It welcomes our honest questions, even when we are questioning God himself. Because he knows our confusion and our pain. He understands our grief. And he, believe it or not, wants us to question him. That's amazing. And so Job eventually does. But like I said, his first response was, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then when, they sh- when, when Satan was able to strike him, it says wounds were all over his body. Some people think this may be boils. We don't know. But he, ha- he had wounds all over his body to the point that his own friends could not recognize him. And he still holds fast to his integrity. Even God says, look at Job. He still holds fast to his integrity. Speaking, he's speaking to Satan. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. That's a scripture that, that, that scares me. Without reason. God gave permission to Satan to do this. Even God says it himself. It's profound. I cannot comprehend it. So Satan comes after him. and gets a second go at him. And at this point, his wife says, why don't you just give up your integrity, curse God, and die? And Job says to his wife, you're, you're sounding like a fool. Should we accept good from the Lord and not also bad? circumstances. But as he sits with these wounds, these festering wounds, he has had enough because he knows he's innocent and he complains. He makes his complaint to his God and he demands justice. And I want to give you today a sample of Job's complaint before God in Job chapter 7. Do we have that Nothing's working. Okay. Verses 11 through 21. This is what Job says. I was hoping that we could read it kind of back and forth together. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out of the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a... Are the monster of the deep that you put, you, under, you put me under your guard? When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I prefer strangling in death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is mankind that you make so much of them? that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and test them every moment. Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who sees everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. The expression of Job's grief. And as, as I think about my own grief, struggles with some, some of my family, as I watch my son Sam struggle, the three deaths in our family, beginning with uh, a couple, about 17 months ago, 18 months Amy's stepfather, the unexpected death of her mother last summer, and then not too long ago, months ago, her stepbrother dying uh, as he received a kidney transplant and it did not take um, fully, and he died. And we're just sitting here in our grief. And to me, what it feels like is this: I'm just this well of grief. I feel like these tears are just in me. And I, find, I feel them rise to the surface, go to the corner of my eyes, and they stop. And I can't get them out. I feel, if I were to explain to you what it feels like, my body just feels like it's melting. And I go before my God in all my confusion, and I don't know what to do. I was driving. Uh, driving up to the northeast not terribly long ago. And I was listening to a conference by Diane Landberg on grief and loss. And during one of her talks, she did this responsive reading with the people at the conference. And it was a lament. It was a lament, some of which was the chapter I just read to you, some other parts of Job. Some of it was from the Psalms. And she just patched it together, and they did this lament back and forth at the conference. And all of a sudden, I she put, she, put, she put voice, she put language, she shared scripture that gave me language to express what is going on in me. And the tears began to flow as I was driving to the northeast. And, and it was Job 7. It's just something about Job and what he articulates for us today in the well of grief. And all these tears started to happen, and I was really grateful, but they're still in me. Let me just share a little bit about this lament and what in Job 7 and what I found so helpful. Just bits and pieces of what I found helpful. It says in verse 7, I will not be quiet. I will not restrain my mouth. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. He talks about in verse 12 the sea. Am I the sea? Am I these sea monsters? That you have to control me? What's he talking about? The sea in the ancient Near Eastern world was a symbol of chaos. If you look at at scripture when God first creates the world, it says the spirit was hovering over the deep. It was hovering over this sea, this chaos, and he brought order. He brought light. He he made his creation out of order. He destroyed the sea monsters. If you go into the Psalms, he destroys these sea monsters. What are these sea monsters? Well, many believe it's what the scriptures talk about as the behemoth and the Leviathan, these ancient Near Eastern mythological creatures that God must destroy. And we see that in the Psalms. And for some reason, that connected to me. Job is saying to God, am I so chaotic to you, God, that you must bring order to me? Am I such an unruly foe that I need you to constantly guard me? And then verse 13 and and verse 14 and verse 4 talk about all these sleepless nights that Job has. And when you're in the midst of grief and pain, there are a lot of restless, sleepless nights. Just you and your thoughts and, and you before your God. Verse 16, when God just when Job says, leave me alone, for my days are a breath. Reminded me of Psalm 103. We're just like grass. We're like flowers in the field that flourish. The wind passes over it, and it's no more. That put language to my grief. And what Diane Langberg said, and I think it's extremely helpful to us, is that in the midst of our grief, we, we have to take these laments of Scripture and make them our own. We have to sit. We have to dwell in the pain of our grief. Hebrews 5, 7, in referencing Jesus, In the days of his flesh on earth, Jesus offered up prayers with loud cries and tears. Jesus was truly human remember first Samuel 1 when Hannah could not have a baby and she could not be consoled she was grieving so hard that Eli thought she was drunk she laments with the incoherence of a drunken woman and this is our scriptures The scripture constantly invites us to be real before our God. So this is how we are to be real before God. I want to just take, I want to take this lament in Job 7 and I want to pray it as I've been praying, and I'm just going to let you listen in as I go before my God. Lord, you know the pain that we are experiencing in our family. You know the constant death, how it knocks on our door day by day, You know the anguish we feel about our own children. And I'm here before you today in pain, in anger, in confusion, frustration, tears. And I say to you today, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, and I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you must guard me? Am I that big to you, O God? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm a speck of dust before you. When I lie down and say, when shall I arise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing until dawn. When I say my bed will surely comfort me, my, my couch will ease my complaint Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. Lord, you know what you know what I experience in the dead of the night? You know these terrifying dreams I have of my children. Will they make it? Will they survive? Or will they be so much, so much like so many many members of my family? Will they just die? And then I will have to go to their funeral and dig their grave. If that were to happen, O oh Lord, then you might as well dig a grave next to them and put me in it and put me in the dust. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days or a breath. I ask, Lord, that you would know my frame and remember that I am just dust. I'm a speck of dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it. It's gone, and its place knows it no more. That is me before you in this moment, O Lord. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone in my pain till I swallow my spit? I don't even have a moment to myself to swallow my own spit. If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. It wasn't terribly long ago when I could not pray like that. That, It's not the only time death has been before me. It's not the only time my children have struggled. It's not the only time that I watch, you know, other members of the church family struggle. But there's something about today. And God awakens that in my spirit, so I'm able to cry before you. That's a gift of God. So here it is, the big question. Why do the innocent suffer? If Job was innocent, why did he suffer? Job is working on this basic assumption. Here it is. Number one, I'm innocent. Number two, my suffering is not divine justice. So conclusion A, God doesn't run run the world according to justice or God is unjust. And he makes that complaint in the book of Job so many times that it reaches the point of accusation before his God. Why do the innocent suffer loss? The book of Job never really addresses that head on. But, and I can't read it all for you, but at the end God shows up. And we're going to, I think we're going to read that today together. Yeah, let's stand. Let's read this together. This is when God shows up. Okay, Job, you've been questioning me for a very long time. Tim, you've been questioning me. You've been asking the questions. Reading together. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dressed for action like a man, I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You may be seated. God gives Job this amazing tour of the universe. I would really encourage you to read it, especially if you're in great grief and loss. And he continually asks Job question after question. Initially, it looks like he's belittling Job. It looks like he's trying to make him small, humbling him. Maybe, maybe that's a part of it. But God is providing a glimpse into important truth about the world that God has made. The point of this worldwide tour is this, the universe is wildly and wonderfully complex. Why is there suffering in the world? God's response is, we live in an amazing world that is not designed to to prevent suffering. Job doesn't have enough perspective to see this truth and not enough to accuse God, which he eventually does. Job does not have a universal point of, of perspective like God does. Job's questions, they're okay. Job's anger, it's okay. Job's confusion, it's okay. His tears, like my tears, they're okay. But once they reach the point of accusation against our God, they are no longer okay. Because we just don't have enough perspective. And in the end, Job puts his hand over his mouth. And he stops his accusations against God. Now, here's the thing. In the midst of all this agony and pain that Job experiences, he does not have enough perspective to see Jesus. He doesn't know anything about Jesus. But we get hints of Jesus in the book. Job 9 32 through 33, Job says, For God is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come together in trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. But you and I know there is. There is an arbiter between us and God, and his name is Jesus Christ, the almighty God, the Emmanuel God who comes with us into the midst of our grief. There is an arbiter. There is one who can help us in the midst of grief. And pain and agony and sadness and loss. His name is Jesus. Yes. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful counselor. Almighty God, everlasting Father. Job 19:25. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. The clearest glimpse of Jesus in the book of pain, in the book of agony, in the book of loss. There our Redeemer lives. It gives me great hope in the midst of my pain, which I pour out, which I learn to pour out, as I invite you to do so as well in the midst of your pain. So the real question is, why didn't Job suffer as an innocent man? The point is, why does the innocent innocent Savior, Jesus Christ, have to suffer? Why does... The innocent man, the innocent God, Jesus, choose to come into our midst to be the man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. Why must he suffer? Why did he choose to suffer for you? That is the ultimate question. And he does it for us. Thank you, Jesus. So even in the midst of this agony that I've poured out before you, I know my Redeemer lives. I don't know what that means in the midst of this right now. I can't answer that question yet. My family can't answer that question yet. My wife can't answer that question yet. But we know our Redeemer lives. And he is worthy of our praise. So focus. If you are here in the midst of great, deep, deep, deep sorrow like I am, Go to the man of sorrows because he has come into this world to be with you in the midst of your suffering. He doesn't say, he doesn't ask us to say, Oh, it's just the will of God. It's okay. Because he said, Not my will be done, but your will be done. He has come right into it and he invites us to come into his very heart as he grieves with us in our pain, in our misery. In our hurt, God honors Job's struggle. He honors his honesty, and above all else, he honors his prayer. I know my God will honor this prayer I pray today because I've prayed it over and over again. I know, I know He won't forget it. I know He doesn't forget my tears. The Psalms say they are like a seed that goes into the ground, and they will produce a harvest of righteousness. I know that but I still grieve. A quick word, just a quick word, because we're out of time, about Job's friends. We didn't even talk about them today. There's three, and then there's four. And what they say is, it's, you, Job, you had to sin. And they work hard to try to convince him. And Job's like, I didn't sin. You guys are miserable friends to me. And finally, he just pushes them away we can't be like job's friends to other people when they grieve fortunately when i remember at the beginning of my sermon when i met that woman who said i can't be comforted i wanted to be a job i was a, this close to being a job's friend and god he took my tongue and he sealed my mouth and i just i just hugged her that's what we need when we're in pain do not be a friend like job it says stop grieving aren't you done with this grief Yet, I would invite you not to say, how are you doing? Well, how do you think I'm doing? I'm grieving. I'm a mess. I I say, how are you holding up? That's that's a really bad question, too. There's no good questions. You're going to make mistakes. (laughs) But maybe, how can I pray for you? Maybe not a single word, just a hug. We are not meant to be Job's friends. And in the end, God says, okay, Job, yeah, I came after you. You had to shut your mouth before me. But I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm. giving you everything back, giving back family and riches. Not because of anything Job does, just because God is so merciful and gracious and loving. And then he says, and this is the amazing thing, he says, you better pray for your friends because they were wrong. And if you don't pray for them... And he does, and they're restored as well. This is what it's like to be a community in grief with one another, right? So let's pray. Let's put our hearts before the Lord. I admit, Lord, there's a part of me that didn't even like doing this in front of everybody today. I just felt like you called me to do it. And I think the reason you called me to do it is because we're we're a community. We, We are a family of God together, and we must learn how to grieve together. So thank you for emotionally healthy spirituality. Thank you that it encourages us to enlarge our hearts through grief and loss. And we admit we don't know what that looks like until our grief gets so big that we have to let it out. Thank you that we get to let it out with each other. But more importantly, thank you, God, that we get to share it with you, the man of sorrows, acquainted, intimate with our grief. And we love you so much. Thank you that our Redeemer lives. We pray in Jesus' name.